Hello and welcome to the Tebby podcast from the Evidence-Based Investor, brought to you by Regis Media, connecting advisors with clients. I'm Robin Powell. This week, we have a very special guest, Larry Swedro. Since 1996, Larry has been Director of Research at Buckingham Asset Management in St. Louis, where he spent his time, talent and energy educating investors on the benefits of evidence-based investing with great enthusiasm. Larry was among the first authors to publish a book that explained the science of investing in terms the layman can understand. It was called The Only Guide to a Winning Investment Strategy You'll Ever Need. He's since written seven more books. In this podcast, I want to focus on his latest, co-authored with Andrew Birkin. It's about factor-based investing, sometimes known as smart or alternative beta. Here's Larry. So the book is called Your Complete Guide to Factor-Based Investing. The academic literature has moved a bit beyond asset class investing to factor-based investing. And factors are nothing more than a characteristic, a trait, or a style of investing that can be expressed even across asset classes. So you could buy value, which is buying what's cheap, in stocks, bonds, commodities, or even currencies. Uh, the problem for investors today is in the academic literature, over 600 factors have been discovered. So many that John Cochran called it a zoo of factors. So how is an investor to know which of the 600 are worth investing in? So we wrote this book to give people guidelines to help them make that decision. And we set some criteria. So we want to see that a factor is persistent across very long periods of time. So we're not sure we didn't get lucky a 20, 30 year period where the risk didn't show up. We want to make sure it's pervasive across industry, sectors, regions, geography, the rest of the world. Even better if it works across asset classes. So value, as I said, works across many asset classes. So does momentum. We want to make sure it is implementable, meaning it survives transaction costs and we want to make sure also that is intuitive so that we have a reason to believe it exists. And finally, we want to make sure it's robust, meaning we didn't get lucky to find price to book works for value, but we get much more confidence if other metrics like price to earnings, price to cash flow, or EBITDA also work. So we laid out eight factors that met our criteria. I'll be honest with you, although I can see it works, I'm probably not quite as big a fan of factor-based investing as Larry Swedro is. The farmer French three-factor model is pretty compelling. Size and value have certainly delivered a premium over the long term. But my suspicion is there are now too many people coming up with factors for the sake of it, or in many cases to help them sell financial products. So I asked Larry, is there a danger that factor-based investing has simply gone too far? Well, I think that's what we suggest in the book, that the literature has shown that there are 600 of these factors, but how many of them really survive these simple tests that we created? And... So, for example, there may be a dividend factor, and it exists in the literature, but it's what would be called subsumed by other factors. So, high dividend stocks are value stocks, okay? Growing dividend stocks are quality stocks. So, if you screen for these factors, you don't need to look at dividends at all. 
That's one thing. And a lot of the others are just, if you will, an expression of the eight that we identified, or they don't survive the test. So the ones that we looked at that pass all of our criteria, and we present the evidence from the academic literature, we cite 106 papers, are the market beta, obviously, size, meaning the small cap stocks outperform over the long term, value, momentum, profitability and quality, something that's called the carry trade, and last is the term premium, and we throw out the rest. Another reason I'm slightly sceptical about factor-based investing is the danger that the growing popularity of certain factors has pushed valuations up. Rob Arnott of Research Affiliates, a pioneer in the field, has expressed that concern himself. What, I asked Larry, does he make of that? Is it true that premiums start to disappear as more people choose to gain exposure to them? Might we even be heading for a factor-based investing bubble? Well, certainly that's a risk, and we actually have a chapter on the book. What is the impact of publication on the uh, factors themselves and the premiums? Do they shrink? Do they disappear? There's actually pretty good literature now on this that for the factors that have been identified, many of them do disappear, but on average they shrink about one-third. So money does come in, and if you buy the cheap stocks, you push their prices up, you push down by shorting or avoiding the overvalued stocks, if you will, the spread between them narrows, and then the premium obviously would shrink. And certainly that can happen. So even if you have a risk-based explanation, that's part of our intuitiveness. So for example, stocks are clearly more risky than safe bonds. If more money goes into stocks, as it poured in the 90s, then the equity risk premium will shrink. But it should never in the long term disappear because stocks are riskier than safe treasury bills and investors demand a premium. That's why we create this test of intuitiveness, okay, that there should be a reason. Now, risk-based is one. The other is there can be a behavioral bias that leads us to make investment mistakes. And we believe that there are some of these factors that are clearly behavioral, like momentum. We think quality and profitability are other factors that mostly have a behavioral trait, but human beings simply don't change. They make persistent mistakes. And the fact that there are what are called limits to arbitrage that prevent the sophisticated investors from correcting mispricings, things like high trading costs, the cost of margin, fear of being short and things go even higher, they can prevent the market from correcting this pricing. We're going to take a short break there. In a moment, we'll hear from Larry why, in his view, investors should be seeking exposure to different risk factors in addition to plain market beta. First, though, here's a message from our sponsor, Regis Media. Hi, I'm Sam Willett, a producer here at Regis Media. Today, investors have more access to information than ever before, and the financial media is as distracting as ever. So these days, investors need help cutting through the financial noise. By educating your clients about the basics of investing, you can build an audience, raise brand awareness, and grow your business. At Regis Media, we can help you get your message out there by producing great content, such as video, animation, graphics, articles, or podcasts. We can also show you how to use that content to get new clients on board. To find out more, visit regismedia.com. 
Welcome back. We've been looking at investment risk factors, and in particular at a new book by Larry Squedro and Andrew Birkin called Your Complete Guide to Factor-Based Investing. Now, earlier I mentioned Rob Arnott. Another name, of course, that's often associated with factor-based investing is Clifford Asnes at AQR Capital Management. Asnes has, in fact, written the foreword to Swedro and Birkin's book. And, in itself, the foreword makes for very interesting reading. Let me read a short section from it. I'd contrast this book, Asnes writes, with the legion of investing books telling you how to actively pick stocks just like Warren Buffett. Those books are, in my view, far easier to write than this one. There are always great stories when it comes to individual companies, fascinating tales of greatness and woe that end wonderfully for the sage stock picker who is the hero of this tale. In contrast, Larry and Andrew have taken on the task of describing an inherently quantitative affair. Factors don't have made-for-TV endings. Of course, while the stories are better in the world of discretionary stock picking, it has one small problem. It generally doesn't work. And for me, that's the crucial point about factor-based investing. No, it's not for everyone. There is additional risk involved. But as long as you stick with it and maintain realistic expectations, the evidence clearly shows that it does work. Here's Larry Swedrow again. Let me say it, it this way. I believe, and I write in my books, and we present, the, we end our book with this caution that there is no right portfolio. There is only the right one for each individual investor. And for, for you to make any investment, you need to have a very strong belief system on why you think that investment has an expected return over the long term. Because if you don't, all of the investments that we identify in the literature, every one of them, including market beta, go through very long periods of underperformance. Market beta, for example, has been negative 4% of the 20-year periods we have. So if you're not convinced of this, you will abandon it. So that's the first thing, and that's why we wrote the book, to present the evidence in the literature so you could gain, or not, that conviction, that belief system, and if you do, that should allow you to stay the course. But if you disagree and aren't convinced by the literature, you should not invest and then just stick with the simple market beta. Let me close uh, just with this last point. Here's a big issue that most people who invest in the typical 60-40 portfolio simply don't understand or are unaware of. If I ask the average investor who has 60% in a Vanguard total market fund, and 40% in, say, a Vanguard Intermediate Treasury Fund. That would be a typical portfolio. I ask them, how much of your risk is in equities? They'll say 60%. Unfortunately, because equities are much more risky than the safe bonds, 20% volatility versus about 5 for the safer bonds, almost 90% of your risk is in market beta. And therefore, I'm personally a big believer in diversifying, of course, these other factors where we show there's evidence of a persistent, pervasive, robust premium with intuitiveness. And they tend to be low correlation, so you get a diversification benefit. Not all of them will do well at the same time, and not all of them will do poorly at the same time. 
and that tends to reduce the tail risk. You're much less likely to have a horrible outcome, and you can't get the great outcome because you're not only in the best performance. And that brings us to the end of another Tebby podcast. Thank you to Larry Swedro and to our sponsor, Regis Media. If you're a financial advisor and you want to find out how Regis Media can help you to attract, retain and educate clients, check out the website at regismedia.com. That's regismedia.com. Until next time, from me, Robin Powell, goodbye. Goodbye.